The Fantasy Animation Podcast is a completely independent production. It is made by experts in the field. Chris is a lecturer in liberal arts and visual cultures education at King's College London and author of The Computer Animated Film, available in all good bookshops. And I, Alex that is, am a senior lecturer in film and media studies at the University of Portsmouth and author of Encountering the Impossible, the fantastic in Hollywood fantasy cinema, available in even better bookshops. We do this podcast to provide audiences with an informative and hopefully entertaining guide through the ways in which you can not only enjoy fantasy and animation, but study it, examine it, explore it, and of course, make it and have a career in it. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello listeners and welcome to the Fantasy Animation Podcast. I'm Alex Sargent. And I'm Chris Holiday. And we're back from our summer holidays, uh, refreshed, revitalised. Um, I'm saying all this, we haven't actually gone on them yet, but... Um, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you speak for yourself, refreshed and revitalised. I'm, pic- I'm picturing a future me that is refreshed and revitalised and ready it's- to podcast, um, and none of those exactly. things are true right now. But hey. Yeah, yeah. Full, full disclosure, it's early July, and we're about <laughs> to go on holiday, as you say, yeah. but um, for, for, for listeners, we are, we're done. What a lovely summer that was, and who'd have, mm. th- who'd have thought, insert name, would win Wimbledon? Very good, very good. So we're back. Thank you for bearing with us on our break. I hope you had a nice summer as well. Um, and we're here to, to, to kick off another another season of fan- I've never said that before. It felt wrong as soon as I said it. But hey, let's let's roll with it. Um, yeah, yeah. Another season of the Fantasy Animation Podcast. And today, Chris, what better what better film to to kickstart the fun than than Cats? Uh, Cats, the 2019 adaptation of the stage musical of the same name by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, I think people probably have heard of this movie. If you haven't, um, it is uh, a film that has um, generated a degree of controversy and conversation, shall we say. Um, It's one of those classic box office bombs and we can talk about the kind of politics and realities of what a box office bomb actually means a critical uh, and commercial failure at the time and and certainly hasn't even Andrew Lloyd Webber denounced the movie as sort of putting him off cats so uh, yeah um, it, 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 it's 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 certainly a film that, that didn't do well we shall say um, and perhaps um, as we talk about it we might try and unpick why um, but yeah. I don't know about you Chris I am keen for this not to be an hour rant about how bad Cats is. Um, I, I, we've both seen it. I don't know about you. Uh, yeah. I didn't think it was great, but I think it's probably more interesting to work out some of the complexities going on around why it's quote-unquote bad than simply kind of join the kind of mud pile that, that's, um, that's, that's surrounded this movie. Sure. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't agree to that, so I had, <laughs> I'd, I'd written a few notes. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'd... We can do a bit of that as well. Why not? I think, why I, not? Think we will, I think we will have to, because as you say, it's, it's a film that... Um, I, I mean, and again, full disclosure, I, having seen the stage show, I, I really didn't enjoy the stage show. I didn't get it. I don't think okay. it was for me. I just... And I, and I remember, I remember the moment I realised I wasn't enjoying the stage show and the subsequent conversations at the time with the people I saw it with, just not getting it, not understanding the plot. I, re- I mean, I really didn't understand it. So I came to this... I came to this, so we, we, we're watching it, or I'm seeing it for the first time four years after it came out. And in those four years, a lot has been said, unsaid, um, critiqued re-said. about the film, re-said. <laughs> um, as you say, there are there are people who are involved in the film who have denounced it. They are There are people like Judy Dench who have never seen it and do not want to see it, have only ever seen a still image of their character and very famously as we will talk about I guess in relation to the visual effects when they're making the movie they don't know what it's going to look like and it seems like some of the visual effects artists didn't really know what the film was going to look like and so when these actors are performing however they're performing and, and in front of whatever they're performing um, they don't know what the character the, f- the full kind of finished product will be and there's something really 
I mean, there's a whole kind of area of film studies in relation to sort of unmade films. And this, even though this film has been made and is finished, <laughs> there is something of that chaos that runs through it, which would be interesting to talk yeah. about. But we are going to have to do a bit of, of what... We are going to have to do a bit of why I've written notes like, I don't know what any of the characters are upset about and everybody involved should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> okay, I, I don't think anyone involved should be ashamed of themselves. Um, <laughs> um, I, 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 I think to unpack why this thing doesn't work yeah. quite as quite as much as it doesn't, mm-hmm. because it doesn't work... Um, It it requires quite a lot of layers. There's an onion here we're going to have to unpeel. Um, I'm interested... um, I'm interested in what you're saying about the stage show. So I've not seen the stage show. But Mm. perhaps if we start with that, because that's the sort of the... The, I don't know, the, 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 the Napers, which of course the stage show is based on a collection of poems by T.S. Eliot, um, yep. and the, the, the title of which, this is a bad fantasy scholar that I can't remember the title of what this uh, thing's called. Oh, The Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats by T.S. Eliot, uh, which yep. is a sort of children's nonsense poetry book. So actually we could start there, we don't need to. Let's, let's start with the stage show, I think, and mm-hmm. see sort of how we, how we get to what we're... What, how we get to Jason Derulo um, doing whatever on earth he's doing in the film. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so you've seen the oh, stage show. You didn't like it. I've not no. seen the stage show, but it was a massive hit with audiences, yep. right? So I think we have to assume that people like that the stage show has generated a degree of success, um, and and perhaps that might be a good place to start with this. In that, I can't help feeling it's interesting. You're talking about an unmade movie. Mm. I, I'm not sure what version of this movie would be made. Like, I, th- what it, that implies that there is a sort of I'd love to see the other version of this movie, the movie where they didn't go down the special effects route and went down the kind of costumed approach, or or didn't cast X or Y or Z in it. But I'm not sure there's a version of this movie I can think of that makes sense as a film, and I think nope, that might nope. have something to do with the stage show. Which seems to me, based on really just inferring from what I've read and the film itself, to be almost a sort of variety sketch show, right? It's more of a sort yeah. of it's not it's not a musical in the kind of traditional Broadway um, narrative, while songs decorate kind of um, or indeed songs tell the story. What we have here is a kind of vaudeville skit. Mm-hmm. Where lots and lots of lots and lots of the, the, the kind of nominal wraparound narrative, right? Is there's this there's this sort of night of um, this will be good. All, yeah, okay. I was I just started that and thought why why did I do that? I, I can't be bothered to get into the the nincompoops and the floobidoops and the yeah. gradulacords and the magicalds and all that stuff. But basically, they're they're having a talent contest. To see yep. who's who's going to win a prize, which seems to be sort of entry into the afterlife. But but they're, they're having a variety contest, and there's going to be a winner. And that's mm-hmm. basically nine tenths of the show, right? Is that all the different cats introduce themselves, do a sort of song and dance, "This is me," um, and are trying to win this contest, which is a very very different sort of rhythmical structure to most narratives right it's not really a narrative it's a variety show and i think we could talk a little bit about vaudeville and and the kind of the variety skit and 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 how there's a lot of talk made about um the links between vaudeville entertainment and cinema and how those two mm-hmm. things are somehow simpatico i think what cats proves that they're not that simpatico um <laughs> cinema doesn't lend itself to skits very often. Um, and I think there is a fundamental problem in this film, which is just that when you say it's, it's difficult to understand, it isn't actually that difficult to understand. There's not much to understand, is, is, is the reality of it. In a way, it's like Quantum of Solace, Chris. People think Quantum of Solace is confusing. It isn't confusing. It's very, very simple. It's just that you're 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 overcomplicating it in your when you're looking for the wrong thing, and I think that's the problem with Cats is that Cats is actually quite a simple vaudevillian <coughs> sketch show that yep. just doesn't translate to the medium of um of the kind of cinematic musical. Yeah. I don't know what yeah. you think. Interesting. No, I'd not, I'd not really thought of that. Um, if we think about the trajectory of Hollywood musicals, um, yeah. 
the history, the, 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 the Hollywood musicals module that I've taught, the, the sort of standard thing is week one you do a big old musical, but by about week three you're starting to talk about um, narrative integration. Mm. We've moved from cinema of attractions style vaudeville exhibitionism. We've moved into the integration of narrative. So that's that's your standard historical trajectory to the point, and then it's sort of goes back on itself where you get to I think the early 2000s you get your Moulin Rouges that lead up to jukebox musicals your Mamma Mia's where where that's quite obviously just trying to bombard you with with songs by a particular artist uh, which which is, which is kind of interesting because that takes you back to, to ex- exactly what you're saying this pre someone like Fred Astaire your pre Fred Astaire's where him and he, a lot of his movies are credited by writers like John Mueller as okay this is where if you took out the if you took took bits out of it if you took out the songs you probably still have a narrative yeah. but actually the song but equally the songs are really important for they are the love scenes of the film so actually if you took the the I said writing on narrative integration is it actually if you took the music out the film wouldn't make sense because now the songs are actually doing some narrative work so this yeah I, I like that idea of this this film kind of taking us back to that early period of musicals that just feels very, very, very early, but also in again in film history courses where you have the the very the week week one of you know, a yeah, module yeah, that yeah. we've a module that we've taught where we're talking about right at the start the the emergence of particular kinds of cameras that move film away from simply sort of canned theatre and you get camera movements because of new technologies and then that allows a different way of thinking about space and geography both of which are com- very confused in this film I would say space and geography it doesn't uh, London is something we could definitely talk about um, <laughs> in the in the film um, my favourite version of London is one that's clearly filmed entirely indoors which yeah. is this this version so I like that idea of it being you, or you almost have to unlearn some of the things you think about musicals and really go back to a sort of series of sketches that and in fact that actually explains one of my notes which is it, most of the songs just seem to introduce characters and their personalities and they mm-hmm. very rarely recur so Rebel Wilson will be in it for a bit and then Corden will have his number and then Taylor Swift will have her number and Derulo will have his number and you never really see those characters again yeah and, and and but maybe that's okay. Maybe that's part and of how the film is constructed. That obviously didn't work for you live, but I can um, I can see that working mm-hmm. in a live theatre space because it gets back to that kind of essential. You know, we, film scholars and film historians talk a lot about the integration of vaudeville into cinema, and you're right. It's often around this kind of actually the tension of narrative integration because vaudeville isn't isn't narrative in fact no. the whole aspect uh, uh, vaudeville is popular and that's why cinema wants to kind of cannibalize it and, and and incorporate it into its 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 narratives but it isn't it isn't what we would call it's not narratively integrated i think it's um david monod um who's a, a scholar of vaudeville says that vaudeville was not designed to arouse sympathy or to get the audience to forget they were watching a performance but to provide yeah. audiences with a highly artificial entertainment experience that made them aware at all times of the space and pl- and functioning of the theater so it's about yep. the kind of authenticity of being in a room and and it can it link to you know things like i don't know things like stand up have a certain quality of that if we're thinking <coughs> about contemporary yep. examples yep. um you know um you know shows like britain's got talent have this kind of we are performing in a space here and actually one of the key things as a fantasy scholar i'm always really interested in and others have talked about better than me um christian moyne and, and karen lurie being two key examples is is the kind of 19th 20th century pantomime the fairy pantomime right where you have fantasy being explored through this kind of vaudevillian performance and that's you know in the british context you get things like you know it's behind you and stuff like that it's that it's that it's that the performer and the audience joining in on the act together and i can see you know in the right hands a lot of these cat songs done to the audience with a bit of a i can see the bits where they're supposed to kind of find someone in the front row and do a bit of a you know um a bit of a skit with them And, and i can see that that creating quite a magical but fundamentally vaudevillian experience i don't think any of that liveness can be communicated very easily through cinema which is why we have these kind of you know 
the early musicals are more, more often than not backstage musicals, aren't they? Because the only way they can sort of narrativize these numbers is to is to tell the story of how they're made. So quite often what we get in these early musicals is sort of a narrative going on about putting on a musical and then yeah. the musical, then the, then the show happens. Absolutely. And, and that's something that the backstage musical, not just of, of things like your Footlight Parade in the, in the 30s, but you get them into the 50s as well. These, this this sub, sub-genre, let's say, or this cycle of backstage musical, which is about putting on, putting on entertainment, which allows for all kinds of you know, interrogations. It allows for... The inter- you, you have um, the, the workers, you have the top-down compression of the, the studio head or the person with the money, you have the hero, you have um, images of labor, and conviviality and community and and this is where kind of the politics of the music the, ma- the mass ornament of the musical yeah, if you yeah. like comes comes together and, and you see the machinations of, of a particular kind of genre but you're never there, there is always and writers of the musical have always said there's a, there's always a disconnect between the, the images or the scenes of labor and the final product because actually a lot more work went into the realization of the final project product than the, the images of Fred Astaire practicing. Sure. There's, that, there's always a, a slippery disconnect. They're not as improvisational. Well, one, they're not as improvisational because we see the labor, but the, the labor that's involved is never quite equates to these incredible Busby Berkeley numbers where, well, there's no way that's even taking place in a theater, let alone anything else. So, mm. That so so I can I, I I I can see actually that that this music cat works on stage because it is because it is on stage, and that gives a very clear set of spatial boundaries, kind of political understanding of how off screen uh, sorry off stage and, and on stage space are being used and foreground and background, but also you're watching something that is itself a kind of talent show. So it, yes. I, I I see what I see what you're saying. Um, Part of the reason I don't think it translates is that the amount of times that you... I mean, the, the cast is all over the place, and I don't just mean performance-wise. I, I just mean yeah. people from different, you know, classically trained actors, pop stars. Like, it's it's just all all over, like, comedy, comedy stars. Um, Luther, BBC One's Luther, is it? Like, there's some bizarre... This kind of collection of different people. Um and somehow the director Tom Hooper has to kind of cut in and out of different kinds of performances. And sometimes people are tap dancing and we're not seeing their feet, which is mm. bizarre. But some of the stylistic choices don't lend itself to to a kind of entertainment on stage that that really requires you to see everything. And part, I suppose, part of the the, the good thing about cats on the stage, let's say, is that you can see everything. You can see skilled performers you'd never cut away you're not going to cut away from fred astaire you're going to keep him in long shot because you want to see him perform yeah you're yeah, not going to yeah. cut and, and tom Hooper often cuts away to reaction shots of characters or has them from the torso up and it's mm. it's almost doing a disservice to the spectacle it's cutting out of the spectacle so so problem number one cats the play is fundamentally unfilmable um, or at least it's an odd, it's an odd story, but it's it's very yeah, it's, it's a simple but odd story and a very and, theatrical, in, not yes. in a, you know in a good way, a very theatrical show that requires that space for it to kind of function. So to turn mm. it into something for cinema would require some really radical fundamental changes that they're not prepared to do because they've got an existing IP that they know they've got to sell to things. So that's problem number one. It sounds like you've identified problem number two, which we'll now dissect, which is that if you are going to film it and not make those radical changes needed to make it cinematic, you're probably better off just kind of creating a, you know, almost doing a sort of, um, you know, like that the Disney plus Hamilton, right? Which sort of has some mm-hmm. cinematic flair to it, but actually is just sort of a, a, tries to create the feel of being in the theatre. But it doesn't even do that, right? It doesn't. No. It doesn't choose to go. Okay, let's embrace that. What we're doing here is trying to capture what audiences are feeling in the theatre and make yeah. it something that can be accessed through the big screen, because we're because we've got an anxiety over doing that. Because well, because I think Tom Hooper has an anxiety over doing that based uh, on on Les Mis, right? Les, I remember Les Mis being exactly that of like. Every single creative choice seems to be based on an anxiety not to make this like a stage show. So in Les Mis, the case was uh, mid shots seem to be completely banned. What we have instead is a roaring landscape, long, uh, lo- uh, you know, uh, w- widescreen vistas or close-ups. And between the two, we shall not meet. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I know exactly what you mean. I think I think just on the on the cinematography before we even get to the VFX. 
there is this desire to make it not theatrical, to make the space seem something that can only be created in a in a, a, a cinema. We have to dance on tables and then jump from the table to the to the floor and then jump through the fireplace up the chimney and then dance on the roof and uh, all this chaotic. Um, well, what it does is it tries to create a sense of dynamic space which you can't create in the theatre. But what it ends up doing is creating this kind of schizoid sense of space where, where you, you appear like you feel like you're just floating in pixels. Like there's no there's no mm-hmm. sense of gravity or or just coherence, right? Coherence to the <laughs> space, right? Yeah. Yes, but but it seems like pl- plenty of musical films have have a bit of story. A kind of a slightly odd and exuberant musical number, and then we get back to the story, and you go, "Well, that was that was an interesting Busby Berkeley number, or or moment where Gene Kelly uh-huh. is dancing on roller tap dancing on roller skates." But now we're, we're back we're back into the story. That's not to say that certain emotions can't be extre- expressed in those musical numbers, but the balance is slightly tipped in those musical numbers towards spectacle rather than narrative. But they're always they're always in play, as Steve Neal might say in terms of genre. Yeah. Things are always in play. They're just the, the the difference between them is one of degree rather than kind when it comes to spectacle and narrative. So plenty of musicals dip in and out of songs effortlessly, seamlessly, awkwardly, but there's a degree at which they are in some way integrated. In in this in this film, there's never a narrative that the, that it comes back to. It's always seemingly moving forward because of the, the the sort of sketch show nature of the film and the fact that narrative is very rudimentary, that these cats, as you say, want to ascend to some afterlife slash higher power on a balloon or something. I don't really... Yeah. Um, there's always a... So, so that's the, the driving momentum. It takes place over one night as these cats show, show their paws, as it were, um, and their credentials. But there's never a, a narrative that the film seems to kind of come back to that the musical number may or may not have taken us out of. So as you're right, everything feels very, um, it, 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 spatially very disorganised, also very kind of dreamlike, but in the sense of it has a lot of moving parts and I don't really buy into the artificiality as much as I perhaps would would uh, want to. It's, it is very confused, as you, as you say, um, which is odd for a film that's very character-driven, but... It's also, it's not uncommon for musical numbers to be stylistically different. I think that's also what I'm saying, is that it's not unusual for musical numbers to be stylistically different, and then we come back to the normality of a shot-reverse-shot kind of kind of narrative before we go off again into these incredible over-the-head Busby Berkeley moving geometric shape kind of things. This film is always chaotic all of the mm. time, and that's part of, I, was, I never felt kind of grounded in a, in a story. And, and Hooper seems to rely on a lot of close-ups of characters looking upset. Um, and I said, I, I said, I've written performances don't seem to drive anything. There's, there's often, I just put, there's a real vacant set of expressions. And some performers seem to just have one facial expression. And I do wonder whether this is a symptom of its digital quality, that everything is super piecemeal and chaotic. These could be characters interacting over three years or something. Because because of the way that these kinds of movies are stitched together, so I wonder whether and we we've talked about this on on previous episodes, um, these VFX films where there's a kind of a bit of internal chaos because of because of their digital production potentially anyway. Um, that's not to say that it's just not a confusing story with very confusing character names. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyway. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're right. There's a kind of contradiction in 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 what's going on here in that. On the one hand, they're not prepared to tweak the central theatrical conceit that the whole thing rests upon. Because there is a way you could do that, right? There's a way where you cut out some of the songs... Uh, mm-hmm. You maybe add some. They they add a song at one point, right? That, which actually was quite good. I thought that the, the, I'm not sure it was that well staged, but I thought the song was quite good. The Taylor Swift. Um, oh right, uh, yeah, yeah, song. yeah. Um, uh, I don't. I think it's it's not her singing it. I don't think it's the it's her it's her song, right? It's, it plays over the, the closing credits. Um, I'll have to okay. I'll have to things like that. But like you know, so they they do tweak it to that extent. They add a song, but they don't they don't tweak it to change that inherent theatrical conceit. So they've they've committed to that, but everything else is quintessentially cinematic, and that everything else, as you say, is assembled through the, the the very contemporary mode of cinematic filmmaking, which relies on none of the kind of liveness that 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 theatre relies on. Right? It's all about 
you know, we've talked to a number of, acad of, of, of academics and animators who, who talk us through the kind of production process and creating any kind of linearity out of, you know, the pre-production, production, post-production post things all collapsed. Um, people can do things that end up in the final film on day one or they can revamp mm -hmm. something on the final day. You know, it's all kind of uh, fragmented and stitched together. And committing to that, at least at the level of, of design, of sets, of costume, I'm sure we're going to get on to, into a minute, means mm. that there's none that none of that liveness that the whole thing relies on of people performing to an audience is transmitted. You're quite right. What it feels like is not only do I not understand how that table is that big in that space and how big these cats are, because a minute ago they seemed to be about the size of small people mm -hmm. and now they mm -hmm. seem to be smaller than mice not only are those thoughts going in your head but there's no sense that any of these people shared a space or place or time together exactly so so what am i enjoying here because that's yeah. what i was enjoying on the stage supposedly was i am listening yeah. to a performer perform and i am the audience they are performing to right you know yeah and mm. i suppose if we can disentangle some of these things we've got okay yeah. we've got a narrative that's slight yeah okay a narrative that's Deceptively well, it's simple. Not, it's, it's, it's not a narrative. It's it's a it's a it's a wraparound device for a series of vaudeville sketches. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's probably what. But what but it is. but there is a there is a partial. I think what it is is that because we're introduced to a nominal protagonist in the opening scene of the film, uh, a, a, a protagonist. Sure. That, well, I've rephrased that. We're introduced to one character who one thinks will be the protagonist, but then a lot of the time. Doesn't seem to be in the movie. Yeah, um, and proceeds just watch what's happening a lot. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, in, yeah with that yeah. one expression, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, and that's not again. That's not a slight on these these characters' right. performance, we, performers. We also have the Jennifer Hudson um, memory, uh, the Jezebel character, who is yep. um, who is kind of the rap. Like that's the if there is a recurring story, it's about the redemption of that character. Which I don't know how much that's been. More emphasised or not, but it's obviously not enough to, to save this thing from that essential problem. No. So yes, yeah, no. so on the one hand, we got that. So the, yeah, so the, the nominal story and the kind of characters. There's the, there's the issue of the vaudeville, which I can kind of buy the sort of. The, the, there's a version of this well, where it really leans into the theatrical just, theatricality, but it things because scale. I think. Yeah, because one of the things that's sort of um, underwritten um, a few of the points already is this issue of space and kind of geography. So the backstage musical, as as a device, has the space of the backstage and has your onstage. You, in the classical Hollywood sense, you have your BWSs, your big white stages, your big mm -hmm. sort of almost geographically impossible um, spaces where Fred Astaire performs, whilst at the same time there are musicals with, well, there are plenty of musicals with lots of stars, but um, Richard Dyer's written, I think, about the kind of, almost the colonial elements of a musical where space mm. is taken up and colonised by Gene Kelly, who can dance anywhere. That space he can take over, he can dance there if he wants to. And Richard's talking about it in relation to a particular scene in a museum, which has different kinds of colonial elements. But I quite like the idea of space is always available in the musical. And so this song is, is, this musical is, everything is sung, um, there's, so that is also jarring because it doesn't readily afford you the space, the split between narrative and spectacle, but it means that every everything in the in the in the um, in the space wise in the film, there's no on stage and off stage. Everything is just just musical all yes. of the time. That's uh, a good point. That's a good point. They're all performing, but all of the time. But, but but yes, they're all performing, but only rarely do we actually get. A performance. We get the um, Ian McKellen Gus yep. Cat yeah, performance, yeah, yeah. which kind of works a bit better because it feels like, well, one, it's Ian McKellen, and you know he just does what he does and fine. But they, yep. at least it's on a stage, uh, and the memory song, obviously, I mean, it's a it's a beautiful song, but that sort of works because there's a, a an established sense of a performance. But because there's no stage, everyone's mm. just sort of being wacky in kitchens. Yes. Um, uh, yes, 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 yes. So, that, that, so space is obviously really, and, and people like Martha Shearer, who've been on the podcast before, who've talked about the use of New York City musicals. Yeah. Know, you know, is 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 much more well versed than than we are in this. But the space is obviously really important in the musical. It's it's all about backstage space and and on stage space and behind the scenes and colonizing spaces and using spaces being able to be there as performance spaces in this film there are a couple of so gus the theater cat as you say the the Ian mckellen number mm -hmm. and then memory just even though it takes place on sort of the road it's sure. that's that's framed in a way that suggests that this is her yeah 
And then there's no. a reprise later that's very much uh, a, a yeah. performance. It's, it's Grizabella, by the way. I got the name wrong earlier. Grizabella. Uh, Grizabella. I don't want to be accused of... Uh, well, I don't <laughs> know my... I don't know my cats. I don't know my... my, my What are they called? Cats. Uh, I don't know my, my cavabachies. For my them yeah, for yeah, my yeah. I, don't, I don't... And frankly, I don't care. But 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 I'll at least get the names right. Gri- yeah. uh, Grizabella, yeah. <laughs> and, there, and then there's a couple of others. So there's... Um, I would say the Mungo Jerry and Rumple teaser number, which is introducing these two sort of anarchic, thieving cats, let's say. Sure. That has a sort of beginning, middle, and end, and then they have their last line and they all collapse on the bed. Um, so there's, there's, there, are, there are some songs that are, that, that are more conventional in the way that they... And, and we're, are more likely the kinds of songs, I think, I mean, that would appear in other kinds of musicals where you have your story and then you have your performance and then you're back into the story. Others, people just start singing. Or in the case of Ray Winston's Growl, ti- Growl Tigger, Growl Tiger, just sort of says a couple of sentences to music and that's that. And that's, it's, So it's really uneven and really patchy, the way that it treats its musical numbers, actually. Um, and maybe it would work a lot better if they were all framed in the kind of in the memory way or in the theatre cat way or in the Mungo Jerry Rumpel teaser framed framed in a way that was stylistically different rather than people just singing all the time on this on the street that's what I couldn't understand I didn't know when we were into the real musical numbers because all of the film is a musical number because very I don't think there's any spoken dialogue maybe a couple of maybe a couple mm. of bits, but mostly it's it's songs. And so it's kind of quite relentless and quite sort of chaotic. But so space is really important. What I actually wanted to say about space was about the scale. Because yeah. as you said, like the cats are all over the place in turn. And the first shot is taking us from London down into the streets of London. And I thought it was kind of quite interesting, the CGI version of historical London. I'm not entirely sure. Or if, if it's even historical London, everything is sort of catified. So there are real world locations like your Nelson's Column or Houses of Parliament. But but everything is sort of tweaked in the way that sort of Shrek's world is tweaked. Everything's sort of slightly medieval. So Starbucks isn't Starbucks. It's it's something else, but it's got a, got a little reference to, to when it was supposed to be set. I don't really know when this is set, but it's got a version of London that is supposed to be from the cat's perspective. But their perspective shifts all the time. Sometimes they're a lot bigger than than they're supposed to be and sometimes they're really tiny so I think there's an issue of the design and this is that's, you can read so much on the film about its errors in kind of visual effects um, its Wikipedia page has a whole little section on CGI errors where yeah. it kind of comes to the film sorry the film is released and it comes to theatres where there are bits missing or you can see things that you shouldn't see and then there's another version that has to be produced that tweaks some of these um, so it, it just seems really chaotic and rushed yes go on I, I, well I'm keen I'm keen to keep critiquing the yeah. the, the visuals because I think they, they, there's more to say we haven't even got to the costumes yet but I think one thing to just sort of say before we do all that which we will do is that the, I think reading between the lines of the various press narratives that have emerged mm-hmm. I think the one thing because I, 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 I this is a narrative that happens quite a lot right is is that I don't I think the it, it it can be very easy to go like okay well they haven't even got the scale right like what are these people doing as if there's this is some sort of amateurish mm-hmm. um, yes yeah, uh, production of VFX I don't uh, what what seems to have happened and this is just you know we're inferring from the press reports what actually happened is a, is a mystery that I'd be delighted to find out one day. Um, but but it seems to be that there's just a complete lack of cohesion between the pro-filmic stuff going on mm-hmm. and the visual effects departments. So it went through a couple of different VFX companies, I believe. There mm-hmm. was the reaction. There was a reaction to the trailer, right? Everyone saw the trailer and thought, "What on earth is this?" And and so they uh, so they they tried to kind of redo it and hire another company to do it. And again, the one thing we 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 seem to have learnt from speaking to you know, from practitioners and things, is it's how important it is. I remember when we did the Nicholas Loy episode on on Dark way back. He was talking about being on set during Dark and advising directors mm. on, like, if you do that shot, then that's that will be more complicated. If you do that shot, we can make it simpler. But, you know, and, and sort of there was a creative bargain between what the VFX could do and what the pro-filmic stuff can do. It doesn't seem that that conversation happened in a very productive way on this film. And there might have been a sense that, you know, those responsible for the quote-unquote traditional photography Mm. were as guilty of making these assumptions about VFX labour as quite often the general public 
does, which is yeah. oh, they can just oh, we'll just they'll fill that in in post, won't they? Just click the magical, they'll click the cat button and they'll turn them all into cats, uh, and you know, like as, as if that's a sort of you know off and on easy process. Because I think quite a lot of this problem could simply be that the, the footage that they are working with is fundamentally um, not suitable to this kind of process. Yeah. Yeah, no, actually, that's a really good point that that we're not trying to we're not talking about this film as amateur hour when it comes to its visual effects. I think one of the really interesting issues that this film raises is, um, I mean, I, I I've I've written there's a real question here of actively labour and performance, but actually, what it really given the behind the scenes stories that you hear of of the film needing correction, it it comes before a number of movies since so i'm thinking yeah, sonic the hedgehog where they redesigned yep. the character um the but, marvel but just on that one that one was yeah. a lot easier to do because yep. it was for fully see like you just start from scratch right or you tweak or you alter this is yeah. a much more challenging process to suddenly go okay we can't do it like that we'll have to do it like this right sorry yeah, yeah. carry on no no but mm-hmm. but all of these in accumulation so the problems with a film like cats let's say um and all the stories that you hear about the errors and the film was rushed and 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 yeah, some yeah, of it yeah. looks some some of it is dodgy let's just call it that some oh, of it yeah. looks dodgy but yeah. that's that's okay that's that's dodgy and there's dodgy it, it doesn't matter uh, well it's some, it's not okay but it's 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 not due to I sh- I'm sure it's not to do with lack of technical expertise no, no, no. or skill or labor it's it's because something catastrophic happened in the organization of this movie that 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 was irreparable it would seem but what the sonic the redesign of the sonic character plus um, stories about Marvel's relationships with its VFX artists, yeah. plus the recent stories, very recent stories, about the labour involved in exploitation in, in across the Spider-Verse. People are talking about the, art, right. the animation, the artists and stuff. Um, you only have to look up online VFX labour and you get um, stories, uh, Hollywood's VFX crisis, quote, it's like being in the military, VFX workers want to unionise, VFX artists speak out against unsustainable working conditions. So there's lots and lots of uh, these articles talk about the bidding processes that a number of our, like well, a lot of our visual effects artists that we talk to talk about themselves as vendors, that we were yeah. one of the vendors for so all of these kinds of, the bidding process that causes issues at stages of, at certain stages of production working conditions, unsustainable working conditions, um the push to make this film perfect don't do it again do it again these kinds of films and i would say because sonic the first sonic is yeah about 2018 i think 2019 this is only a a thing that's happened over the last four or five years where almost we've had for a long time and we've talked about this uh, for a long time motion capture was the way in to talk about digital labor because it made it made those questions so obvious we could talk about contribution and and labor and um, human performance and computer mediation and anxiety, cautionary tales about the computer overwhelming us. And for a long while, that was the way that we talked about about because because the the notion of puppetry was a nice symbol for the structures of a studio that people are. So that was the. And now for a long time, that's how we talked about that. Now. I think over the last four or five years, there's been a change towards thinking about vendors and thinking about the the VFX artists who are often, and maybe it's a sort of just a pre and post COVID thing because obviously COVID tells us a lot about working conditions, about being able to work from home, and all these kinds of it, it reframes the narrative around around um, who's work. COVID did a lot to reframe the value, or to reframe narratives around whose labour we value, let's say. And this has really sharpened, I think, our, our awareness of visual effects, um, VFX workers who lack healthcare, who don't have access to employer-sponsored um, retirement plans. And, you know, these just these kinds of things. Um, so there's a few films that have started to... to I mean, there's a, there's a blog post in here somewhere around these sort of emergent narratives around... Like, and unfortunately... Cats is kind of an easy target because in places it's a bit of a mess. But as you absolutely, you're absolutely right to say, this isn't anything to do with the skills of the animators or the artists involved or the technicians. Um, it's about their probably, uh, you know, being very flippant. It's about their lack of sleep. It's about that they couldn't get childcare that day, so they had to well, work yeah. in these conditions. It's those sorts of things. That's that's and probably being asked to do the impossible. You know, as I say, yeah. reading between the lines, if you if you jettison one VFX company when your trailer comes mm-hmm. out, and then give give all the footage that you have to another, and go work with it, there's certain irreparable 
issues I suspect that emerge there just about how you shoot this stuff how you frame it what exactly you're asking and how long they have to do it and stuff you know just 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 you know yeah making the best of a bad job is is a, I think is probably um, yeah. a narrative we, going on here is, right? is that you know. but it, is that is that because I don't know the answer to this but is that because in something like Ex Machina you've got you've got live action scenes and then you've got effect sequences or you've got a sense in which these processes there's sort of production and post production but actually yeah. in a live action kind of hybrid film let's say these these processes might be able to be well, run to run simultaneously whereas in a film like Cats which has very it, it's live actionness is essentially the faces and that's it everything else seems to be blue and green screen or I don't know about motion capture I don't I don't actually know whether this film is motion capture I, yeah. I, I think I think there's another process going on here so I guess the, it's just the, a little confused the question becomes a simple question is who made the decision to decide to make these costumes CGI cats rather than go down the sort of more practical route. And if that person didn't have any expertise in the field of VFX special effects costuming, that was an ill-informed decision to make. Mm. You know, <laughs> the, you know what you should have done is gone, um, how shall we do this? What's the best way of doing this? What's the range of options? But it seems to me a decision very early on was made that okay mm. well on stage they do it in costumes so we'll do it we'll do it we'll do it as a we'll do it as VFX we'll we'll CGI the costumes on as if that it, it, th th those words are actually empty we'll CGI the costumes on isn't a thing in the set it's like we'll, we'll magic them on like how does that work how do you do that what process mm. do you go through and I it, it, I mean it clearly by the end results alone that would have benefited from better consultation because that fundamental decision seems to have created a lot of the issues here a lot yeah, of the no. issues here and the film just hasn't just there's just there was you know thousands and thousands of artists were employed to do this and no one found a solution and probably because there probably just wasn't one um or yeah. at least not in that that mm. that that that, that might uh, time frame or whatever. There, again, there's a lot of you don't have to go far to find why the costumes in Cats are the most polarizing. A Cats movie with practical costumes and C, uh, instead of CGI would have solved the problem. So there's lots of you know, the creatives coming out and saying, well, actually, we tested practical costumes and we realised that CGI was sort of the best way to go. Fine, but the actors, the actors need without costume you move in a certain way depending on the costume that you're wearing so it doesn't make sense if you're wearing something heavy you would that would affect yeah. your move so you need to be in a kind of strike this creative bargain with the clothes that you're wearing because that will inflect your performance if you're just wearing as all these behind the scenes shots show of of just green onesies you're not you don't know the costume that you're wearing so you're not really performing with with it and and in fact these aren't supposed to be costumes these are supposed to be just <laughs> these are supposed to be just the cats, the bodies. We we call them costumes because in the theatre they are the characters are so yes. the performers are wearing costumes. But these are these are supposed to be what the characters are like and how they move. And yes. that it's that doesn't kind of in theatre when people use costumes and makeup, it's it's supposed to enhance the performance. It never gets in the way of the performance. In in film, it sometimes seems to get in the way when we ask questions about are they really performing? Are they really well well, well, yes, they are. Yeah. In a film like Cats, it's, it, at the same time as the film comes out or the, in the lead-up to the film, you've got the stars coming out and saying, look, this is what we were really wearing. Wasn't it hilarious? You and McGregor yeah. doing the same thing. I was acting to a tennis ball on a stick. Uh, but the costume thing really... That, that's the thing that makes the movements a little bit clunky. And in, yeah. and, in, a, in a film and a musical that's very bodily and it's about the movement of bodies and... Uh, and I mean, it's also just, it's just humans pretending to be cats... And I think that's just a uh, well. So it's uh, just that, odd. So, the, 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 so the, 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 <laughs> another problem is that this it's we are currently experiencing um, uh, sort of live an industrial realization about um, the rhetoric of what we need is greater realism. What people want is greater realism. What CGI can bring us is greater realism. Is starting to kind of fold away uh, as more and more of these mistakes are made which is that we don't we actually i mean it depends on the story right but we don't want realism in a in a in a story of singing cats 
trying to work out how to get into the afterlife whilst running around London. Um, mm. we, don't, we don't want realism. We might want immersion. We might want all these other words that we could use to describe it better. But what we don't want is a photorealistic um, cat standing on two legs looking like Taylor Swift apart from because because that doesn't make any just literally saying that out loud reveals the contradiction of what you're talking about is that is that you're you know you, you don't want that that isn't what you want you want um, a real sense of artificiality beautiful artificiality that mm. allows you to immerse yourself in a fantastical structure what you don't want is to count the number of nipples on Jason Derulo uh, as as he stands on hind legs and sings a song about whatever he's singing about, because that's just confusing. In the same way that you don't want a photorealistic lion to sing a song to you, mm. you know, you, 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 this you know, photorealism has limits, um, and 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 fantasy, fantastical stories, which have traditionally been told through very unrealistic mediums. I mean, the, the things are musical. That's not very realistic. Like, the, we, we tell these stories unrealistically because that makes them easier to understand, to immerse ourselves in, all this sort of stuff. This idea that we want everything to look like a photograph is, is, is only true if things belong to the, to the, the order of the real, you know, mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. none of this belongs to that. So it's uncanny no. to watch, what, hang on, so is this a cat? Is this an anthropomorphic cat? It's back to what you're talking, is when we've, we've done podcasts about anthropomorphism, right? Is this um, Honest John uh, or Mickey Mouse or is this Pluto I'm looking at? Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. Which, which am I looking at here? And the answer is, I'm supposed to be looking at Honest John, but you've designed him to look like a real cat, like you know, yeah. a real, you know, a real fox, you know, with a with. Uh, it doesn't. What I don't that fundamental misunderstanding of of the basic um, aesthetic appeal of fantasy just it's just madness to me. I, I feel like every, especially with CGI and CGI aesthetics, you get every ten years or so, you get the these debates surface again. So you get once Toy Story comes out, so mid Toy Story, then Toy Story two, you get a couple of, then you get a Shrek two thousand one, and you get scholars going, hmm. So Princess Fiona and and realism, and do we really want? Is that what we want? Is that what we we we, we all we we all know what a human looks like. I don't really know what an ogre looks like. So maybe animation should stay within the realm of of fantasy. Mm. Let's say. Um, I remember two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. Vivian Shobsack writing an article, a chapter in a book, Animated Worlds, and she just had a simple sentence, which was. What do we want from animation? And this this was in response to Final Fantasy. So Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. So again, mm -hmm. 2001, a film that uses hyper-realistic imagery. Well, do we want that or do we want The Incredibles, which is a little bit more caricatured? And and so these these and then yeah. then, then a film like Cats reignites exactly these kinds of debates. Well, what do we actually I, really want? Why does everything have to belong to the world of the photographic? I, I, we can want both. Like, I'm not. I'm got a problem with you know animation being used to achieve photorealism. In fact, that's a really great thing for it to do, and we've talked about examples where it does do that. I just don't want that in a vaudeville show about singing cats trying to compete to get to the afterlife. You know, well, well, uh, obviously, you know, not quite. Call yeah. me an extremist, but like, I, don't, I don't want that. And and we, no one ever wanted that from the stage show. No one ever walked. Out, I mean, whether they liked it or didn't like it, you didn't like it, but you didn't walk out of it and go, do you know what? I'd have got into that more if I really, if there were really looked like cats. Like, mm. really, you know, if I couldn't, I, I, it was really bad. I could see Elaine Page's face. What was all that about? You know, the cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz, it looks like a human. Of course it does. Like, you know, of I, course. So, yeah. <laughs> I wonder whether Cats would have been, cat, this version of Cats would have been a lot more successful had it gone down the um, Oliver and Company route and been an, an animated film mm. with with Judy Dench and Ian McKellen. And and then you go, okay, fine. That's, there's, I, I, I don't have anything I'm I'm judging it in all alternate time. This sort of hybrid because it's photorealism plus something else. It's like a monstrous transformation of photorealism because uh, um, it's I I just it's it's sort of like the Moulin Rouge where they project Paris on the green screen and stuff like yeah, that. But yeah. but that's supposed to be really theatrical and the film sort of plays with the idea of theatrical space and spectacle. Whereas this film is is trying to be really insin sorry trying to be really sincere. And comes across really insincere. Sorry, 
It's trying to be sincere and comes across as insincere. And I, yeah, there's a lot, I, I put, everything seems insincere and superficial. And rather than an uncanny valley, it feels just like a massive chasm where the VFX kind of looks unfinished. Um, I don't know. I've just then, then I've ended my notes with a real dog's, for a film about cats, it's a real dog's dinner. Hey, hey, hey. So, I mean, uh, look, I'm being, I'm being, we're being harsh and, and it's, it's, it is an interesting film to watch and to talk about just because in a film that was released in 2019 with the people that are in it, the creatives that worked on it and the director, you'd go, cool, this is a really interesting case study in, in how not to maybe navigate digital aesthetics and the possibilities of digital movement and digital bodies it's just a really interesting you know and there are other things that we could talk about with regards to race and i was looking at some of the casting choices and and, and how how they've sort of moved through time and you know jennifer hudson and jason derulo and there's some interesting stuff that the one and idris elba the one could say about okay. the design i don't know about this well i don't i don't know what what what's no, been written on this um no um, certain characters so grizabella for example sort of yeah. the, the, uh at some point, turn. This is going to sound really odd, but I'll say it anyway. Goes from Elaine Page to Nicole Scherzinger, and this, in the same right. way that Aladdin, the genie in Aladdin, when performed on stage, is almost entirely performed by a black male. Yeah. Um, re just really interesting s sort of casting decisions about the 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 and, and there are books around. And we talked about this kind of black masculinity and hyperactivity and, and, and animatedness. And there's a book by Sean Guy on called Ugly Feelings, which is about the hyperactivity of of Eddie Murphy. It's a really interesting right. kind of case study. And so it, it sort of in some ways makes perfect sense that the genie would be played by black males, given that the way that black masculinity has been theorized in terms of animatedness as a quality of hyperactivity you think eddie murphy mm. and beverly hills cop and you know and, and even the donkey and shrek which has its own kind of problems so it's, if you look at some of the casting practices from the stage show and how over time there's been a bit of a diversification in the kinds of bodies so we go from paul nicholas to john partridge to idris elba um, right. So there's just well no actually no Idris Elba plays a, a, a different character but sorry there's just some interesting moves that the film makes and I'm not entirely sure it reconciles that with some of the designs of the characters because a lot of the black performers in the film are become black cats and there's just just some odd some interesting choices that we haven't got time and to talk about but um, yeah. yeah no it's interesting to raise I hadn't thought I hadn't I hadn't, I, I didn't know about the backstory of the casting and things like that but I obviously knew Elaine Page is is now played yeah. by Jennifer Hudson and there are there are some yeah. There are some decisions by that. Um, okay, yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I yeah. don't have anything meaningful to, to sort of say about it, but yeah, so Grisabella, Elaine Page, um, then got Nicole Scherzinger, Beverly Knight, Leona Lewis. So just some interesting choices that are made that people more in, in, in interested and interesting um, than me can talk about. But again, I don't really have anything to say about that. But I think whenever you're dealing with animals in films and especially mm. kind of animated however animated these are i'm, I'm always reminded of, of of a book that we've talked about paul wells's book on on animated animals the way that animals sort of stack can stand in for different kinds of bodies and when you add voice work into the mix um when you have eddie murphy voicing a donkey one needs to think about the kind of identity politics around those sorts of casting decisions um yeah, 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 yeah. but yeah there's a really good the, the Wikipedia page has a really good kind of breakdown of the original cast right. and then sort of moving through the different versions of it and then obviously the film doing something different and and how positive some of the steps are but how problematic some of the other steps might be. Yeah, interesting. It, it it seems to be there's obviously there was obviously a cultural moment where yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Where, where where the where the where the character was 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 shifted. Um, and why that happened, and why it did, why it stuck is also, you know, it, we're sort of yeah. interesting, like you know, like okay, now, now the character is cast predominantly black, um, and we are interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's probably there's probably lots of other stage shows and, and things that have been. Well, yep. I guess the good thing about Cats as a case study as a musical is it's been so long running that it's able to kind of um, take on the baggage of various different um, shifts in, in culture and society and things like that because it's, you know, most stage shows last a year and then disappear if, if they're lucky, right? So, um, um, yeah, this one is, what, what year are we? Uh, fifth longest running Broadway show and the seventh longest running West End show. So it has, yeah, yeah origins, I think, early 80s. So, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, but I'm interested <laughs> to know where, because I think it premiered this is this is a really wild yeah so it premiered in may 1981 um which is obviously the this is this is a real leap but it's like the year before tron and it's a year before some of the other sort of big effect and there seems 
almost like the, the 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 stage show is really reclaiming the theatrical and costumes and in, in a world of increasing digitization i imagine there's something quite interesting about how that how that stage show was perhaps sold as as no 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 we, the theater that's the place to be and that's where all the effects and the magic and and who would know that goodness knows how many years later cats has succumbed to the digital wave of yeah of and i think i think there's something about participation in the magic as well that's certainly how pantomimes were right and that's that this idea of of the, the way magic is created i mean the, the the best example of this is like you know that scene in peter pan in the original stage show and it's in some of the movie adaptations where um tinkerbell's dying and and peter uh, literally needs the audience to clap to get Tinkerbell to come back to life because you have to clap your hands if you believe in fairies and that will bring her back to life. And there's literally a moment where, P- where, where Tinkerbell is restored to life on stage if the audience participates. And I think that's kind of a nice metaphor for how these sort of fantasy mm. pantomimes work. You know, it's behind you to me, you know, all that, I was about to say to me, to you, that's just chuckle vision. But, um, um, yeah. but it's behind you and, and throwing sweets and getting the kids up on stage to it. Like that sense that we're creating something together here and you're part of the equation is so fundamental and i think there's something quieter but it's significant about that with cats which is like you know i'm not I, we're not claiming that these are cats if you want to, you know to, to make them cats kind of metaphorically the audience has to kind of do some of the work here and and the film won't let you do any work well if the work you're doing is much more I'm sorry. That, I'm sorry. How big's the table and and all that and and, and yeah, exactly. How long was he on set and yep. why did she agree to be in this and why did they cast a ballerina and then not have her body and do any dancing yeah, yeah. and and all that kind of is the sort of more what you are you are filled with. So rather than participating in the make believe, uh, you are you are you are just befuddled by the kind of logical inconsistencies of what's mm. of what's going on um yeah yeah i have yeah i have met my i have two other two other yeah, 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 points yeah, i suggestion. guess one one it one is the um i suppose back to the anthropomorphism is that i noticed that the characters have a lot of moving parts so whenever they speak kind of ears and tails have to move almost independently and in reaction to spitting and that can make for a really kind of disjointed disjointed perf- performance because sure. I don't know. I, I, I was just very conscious of, of these sort of floating heads that seem to be superimposed into bodies that may or may not have been the actual bodies. I think in, at times I thought, oh, that is Taylor Swift's body, the way that it's moved. But then in other scenes I thought, oh, I don't think that's that's the... And, and so I, th- there was a little sort of in, an internal, yeah, again, an internal chaos. And the other thing is kind of the final bit of the film where Judy Dench's character kind of addresses the audience and says, you've learned about our cats cats and our habits and our habitats and i thought have i have i have yeah. i learned about these things and, and i thought that was an odd moment to sort of directly look at the camera almost to try and go look okay so i'm we're trying to reclaim the artificiality and the theatricality and go yeah. look we know it's we know it was a show and hey you okay. enjoyed it and, and i thought it was that filmed just before it was released to quickly tag that on or yeah. I, it was just an interesting way I could have of, done with doing... more than that I could have done with more of looking at the camera involving right. us I could have done I, that That I could have done with a lot more of because that's what you're getting in the show right is you're getting memory sung at you not sung because that's the basically they have two options they either sing it at nobody which they do for quite a lot of the movie they just sing and you'll go, okay, which I don't mind that in a musical, which is this one, it just doesn't quite, why are you, why are you singing a song on how great you are whilst running around in a kitchen playing with spoons? Like, don't, don't understand that. Uh, or they're singing it to another person on the screen. That works a bit better, but it never quite captures that, you know, I imagine it's quite a moving moment in the, in the theatre to sort of be sung memory yep. at. Um, and you kind of get that a little bit with that number, but it's just dissipated um, through all the reasons we've um, we've said so far. Sorry, and what was yeah. the other point? No, that was the that one oh, was right, the sorry, moving yeah. parts, and one was. De- I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't think I've got anything. No. I mean, do we I have remember- any any nice like any? Good bits. I mean, I've tried to mention a couple that I think work a bit better. As I say, I think the Taylor Swift song, Is It Beautiful Ghosts, is, is quite a nice song. And a way they kind of bring that together with memory where they do that bit, I thought that was that was all right. Didn't mind that. There's a couple of moments that feel a bit more stagey and in a, in a good way. I didn't mind that last bit um, in uh, Trafalgar Square where the sun comes up. That's sort oh, of, yeah. Sort of okay. That sort of felt like an actual bit of space and... Uh, and all that kind of stuff, but uh, so yeah. Any, uh, what about you? Any any bits that we can say nice things about? 
Um, <laughs> I okay. So, well, a lot of my my first okay. I, I think first of all, I think you, it is possible to overlook perhaps some of the and again reviews have talked about it as a kind of just a bit of a misjudgment in terms of some of the design choices and kind of confusing scale. Uh, some of the singing is obviously a bit patchy because some people aren't singers, which kind of is fine. The accents, yeah. obviously, this is set in London, but that causes some problems. Yeah, I never mind patchy singing, actually. No, uh, well, no, I, no, no. I, it, it's not an ideal, but I, I, I never because I, I would rather feel a sense of um, a, a performance. You know, I don't necessarily go to musicals to hear the world's best singers. I go to the musicals to hear songs sung in a kind of emotional narrative. Mm-hmm. I've always stuck up for Russell Crowe in Les Mis, for example. I mean, I'm that guy. I, I think there is something about the vulnerability of his voice that kind of adds something to that character um, in a way that I don't really... I'm not that interested in Hugh Jackman singing Bringing It Home when I know Alfie Boyle's just a little bit... Um, Alfie Bow is just a little bit better, you know. Yeah. So, no, I think that's um, fair. I think there's that's something fair. about the vo- like Ian McKellen, all right, is sort of crackling his way through it, but that kind of adds to the charm a little bit, you know. Yeah. There um, is one musical number I like. So I, it was around kind of forty, yeah, forty-five minutes. It's a dance number um, that uh, that appears after Judy Dench and then Ian McKellen's first appearance, and actually. It's it's not a musical number. It is just a dance number. So it's it's a sort of ensemble Busby Berkeley yeah. style, which I thought, oh, okay, that's. And I think the film is at its best. And even there's another one at the end, I think, where all the cats are. I think before um, Idris Elba's character, whose name escapes in Macavities or Macavity. Macavity. Um, before he's sort of rejected as the kind of chosen cat, there's a couple of musical numbers. Well, sorry, a couple of dance numbers. So I thought, oh, okay, this is a bit. This is the the film was on shore a footing, but it tries to do. It tries to follow quite closely the 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 theatrical show, and I wonder whether they perhaps needed to go. They either make it an animated film entirely, or they go the whole the other way and do a different version of it, where there's spoken dialogue and there's different kinds of music, or just do something different with it. It's caught in that liminal space between trying to be cinematic and also trying to really be a cat's movie. And even the you know the poster is and the font, the design. They're supposed yeah. to mimic the stage show, and it doesn't quite. It's caught in that liminal space, that sort of absolutely. tension. Absolutely, um, absolutely. I think that's go. that's a, a that's I think that's a terrific way to end the conversation. Is that it's caught in that liminal space and you feel it every second on screen. So uh, yeah, but yeah, there we go. Look, so, interesting to talk about though. Certainly, so interesting that's to talk why about. it's bad. Um, <laughs> um, you know, and it isn't a good movie. I don't think I've, I've we've claimed that, but um, I, I think there's lots of context surrounding it that are, are, are interesting to talk to. As This is Agreed. a phrase you say to me when we um, often say, it's a good film to teach with. Um, yes, uh, because, if you want um, an article or a little blog yeah. on sort of some of the, speaking with some of the people involved. I, I There are rumours that it may become a sort of cult cult classic. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen because I think well, it's too I, mainstream I think it's, for it's that. It's also just very boring. Like it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, revolting or all this kind of stuff in the way that some cult classics become it's just it's just really boring like um uh so i i don't see that happening but hey you know um who knows um a good one um, to teach with al a good one to teach with all right well um welcome back to another season everyone thanks for listening through us um if you have other opinions on cats maybe we have some cats defenders out there who uh, want to write uh, a blog post for the website explaining actually how this is a misunderstood yeah. masterpiece. Um, in which case, get in touch at fantasy-animation.org. You can click on the Contact Us tab on the main website. And on that website, you can also find our back catalogue of blogs. Um, and uh, do we have a review of Cats? I think we did do a review of the Cats at the time. Yes, we do. Um, and we have a review of Cats uh, by Martha Shearer. By Martha Shearer, former guest of the podcast. So do check that one out as well. I don't remember her liking it if I, off, off the top of my head. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty convinced she did not. Um, but I'm sure, um, well, she did have some extremely uh, well-rounded this way. reasons. Yeah. Probably better put than it, what we've done on the podcast. Well, yeah, put it this way. The first line of her review is 2019 was a bad year for Cats. Um, death <laughs> of notable, notable cats and cat owners, political defeat, and finally, worst of all, Cats, yeah, the film. Okay, fine. So, so there we so go. She didn't like it, but she's a esteemed scholar of musicals who um, will 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 explain exactly why, and probably another reason why it's a problem. Um, so do check that review out. Um, you can yep. also download the archive of podcasts, um, and you can subscribe to the various feeds. However, you download your podcast, you can do that there. Um, you can suggest episodes for footnotes at fananimresearch. Yes, please do. 
F-A-N-A-N-I-M research at gmail.com. Um, that would be great. We've got a few trickling in and we're responding to them as quickly as we can. So thank you so much for everyone who's done so already. Um, and uh, what else can you do? Oh, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, Facebook and Instagram at FanNM Research. Same handle, F-A-N-A-N-I-M Research. And you can talk to us on that. Um, otherwise, that's been us for another episode and we will see you next time. Bye.